Thanks for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. We pray that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith in Jesus. We are happy to provide this resource to you, but as you know, this alone cannot meet the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we hope you'll be able to join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you're not in the area, give us a call and we'll do our best to help you find a good church to visit. For now, here is this week's message. Good morning. I'm glad to, my table's moving. You see me staring at it. It won't stop moving. It's good, though. Good morning. I'm glad to be here with you as we continue our series on forgiveness. Uh, last week, we spent some time unpacking perhaps one of the most troubling verses in Scripture. Uh, not troubling because it's hard to understand, but troubling because it's very easy to understand. All right, those are usually the most difficult ones in the Bible. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 6, uh, 14. He says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. And so according to Jesus, there is a lot at stake if we choose the path of unforgiveness. And as we talked about last week, forgiven isn't easy. In fact, you might have to find yourself forgiving multiple times for the one thing somebody did. That trauma or that pain or that hurt may fester and show up in many different areas, many different avenues of our lives, and we all have stories that we could tell, and it would seem that it would be completely impossible to forgive, and we'd all agree, like, that's too much, that's too hard, we could never do that on our own which is why Jesus did the impossible for us. He did what we could never do. Jesus lived a perfect life, lived without sin, believed in forgiveness so much that he went and gave himself up for the forgiveness of our sins. He died on that bloody cross so you and I could be forgiven. He gave his life so we could find life. And then Jesus commands us to forgive just like he forgives. And we talked about that forgiveness gives us and really is, it gives you a better future. You choose not to allow what that person has done continue in your life. You choose to kind of cut it off and, and let it go and, and move something else. And forgiveness is such a big deal. And, for, and, and in fact, it's the center of the gospel that Peter heard about it. He knew what Jesus said. And so he asked Jesus in Matthew 18, he says, he says, then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Which that's still a lot. No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven, which is 490. And the point is clear. If you are counting how many times you've forgiven, then you haven't really forgiven it's not about the number. We are to forgive an unlimited amount of times. And then Jesus launches into his most important parable story telling us about forgiveness. And we saved that for this week because it's pretty important to stand on its own. And he tells us this is why you forgive. In fact, this is the foundation of all of forgiveness. This story is the basis for Christian forgiveness. This is why Christians can forgive. This is why our theological system, our belief system is different than any others in the entire world. We're unique in this aspect 
because we rely on the impossibleness of God, here Jesus goes. He launches in. Verse 23, it says, Therefore, this is Jesus talking, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of the debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. So a king decides to sell up his accounts. He opens his books. The accountant comes in and says, you got too much money out. You got to start collecting. And so he says, let's get to it. And remember, a king back then had absolute power. Absolute power. What he says goes. There's no rebutting it. There's nothing you can do. What he wants to happen happens. So he brought in a man, and in in the sum that Jesus speaks to is about who owed him about $40 million. $40 million. Now, I think we can all agree that that's a, not a small sum of money. And if $40 million is a small sum of money to you, please talk to me after the service. There's a building I need built. Just throwing that out there. If you're like, $40 million, that's nothing. Come talk to me. I won't touch anywhere near that. But for most of us, and I imagine all of us, $40 million is quite a bit of money to owe. And for a person to have to try to pay that off, it's almost impossible, especially back then. That sounds impossible. And like us, verse 25 says he couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. Talk about a decision that affects your entire family, right? Everything was to be sold, not just a wage garnishment, but sell him, sell his possessions. Let's get back what we owed, which wouldn't amount to the 40 million. But he said, this is, we'll at least get something, sell him off. Verse 26, but the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. So the man falls before the king. He humbles himself before the king and begs for time. And while it's doubtful he could have ever paid that large of money back to God, he cried out to him, God, just, just, I mean, he cried out to the king, just give me another shot. Verse 27, then his master was filled with pity for him and released him and forgave his debt. This is, of course, an unexpected turn. The king, filled with pity and mercy, released him, not from just the prison sentence. I mean, he just forgave it all. And for me, I think about if someone just said, hey, Brian, I paid off your house. You don't have a mortgage anymore. I just think about the relief that would be. $40 million taken off your shoulders? What do you think he spent $40 million on, by the way? And it's all forgiven. It's done. It's over. His debt is gone. And while this is great for the servant, we have to remember this one part. This is great for the servant. That debt is off his shoulders. He no longer has to deal with trying to pay that back. Who owes, I mean, who experienced the loss? The king. Remember, the king gave him 40. The king was owed. The king now chooses to absorb that loss. I gave you $40 million. I'm going to release you from it, and I'm going to live with it. I'm going to live with you not with, with the missing money. It's just done. It's over. He didn't take all the stuff he spent $40 million on. He let him keep it. He said, I'll absorb the cost. Verse 28. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. 
Now, let's be fair. A few thousand dollars isn't chump change either. Still a significant amount of money for most of us. And I imagine the outrage and the fear. He's like, man, I almost got locked up. I almost got thrown in prison. My whole family did. It isn't my fault that I own $40 million. It's the guy's fault who owes me a couple thousand. That would have fixed everything, I guess he's thinking. So he goes to the guy, right? Starts choking him out. Starts choking him, right? Grabs him by the throat. He said, you need to pay me and you need to pay me now. His fellow servant fell down before him, verse 29, and begged him for a little bit more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. Now this story sounds awful familiar, doesn't it? It's the same thing he just said to the king and got his 40 million forgiven. It's as if the story of forgiveness had went all around the kingdom as if everybody had heard what had happened. Everybody knew that this, this man who was owed the king 40 million was completely forgiven. He comes and starts choking this other guy out. He repeats the same back, hey man, you, you were just forgiven. Like, I know about that. Everybody does. Can, can you be patient with me? And maybe you're not going to forgive my debt, but can you just give me more time? Can you just show me the same mercy that you had been shown? Verse 30. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested, put him in prison until the debt could be paid back in full. So how do you suppose you pay back debt when you're locked up? Yeah, what they would do, this was common back then. They would sell you into slavery, sell your family into slavery. I would never get in debt back then, right? It's a clear way not to get into debt. But they would sell, and then they would sell all of your stuff, and they would recoup what they have. And so by forcing him into slavery, excuse me, forcing him into prison, they're saying, hey, man, your family better come up with it, or you better sell all your stuff. Because freedom, when you're in jail, when you're locked up, that stuff you have out there doesn't matter anymore, does it? Can't do anything with it. You're in jail. So he's like, yeah, this forces their hand until his debt could be paid in full. And if it wasn't paid in full, you would remain there for life. Life in prison over a couple thousand dollars. That's a high interest rate, isn't it? That's what was going on. Verse 31. It says, when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. So evidently that story did circulate. They told the injustice to the king. They're like, look, that guy you forgave, we know what happened. He just went through someone else in prison just over a couple of thousand dollars. We think, well, how could he do something like that? Well, I think it's pretty simple if we're honest. Isn't it true that when you do something wrong, you want to be forgiven because you understand why it shouldn't be that big of a deal? But when someone else does something wrong, you demand justice. Now, you're like, man, they hurt me. Nope, doesn't matter what they say, they hurt me. And you want payment, you want payment. Now, we forget, we forget so easily. Verse 34, so the king gets involved, excuse me, verse 32. It says, then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? The king expected and perhaps he told him, and we just didn't hear that part of the story. Whatever the case, he had forgiven so much and he was expected then to show that kind of mercy on other people. He had no right to withhold forgiveness from other people. 
He had no right to withhold forgiveness from other people because he had been forgiven so much. And yet, we do it all the time. Verse 34. Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. His penalty was far worse than it was before. Now he has to figure out how to pay the money while being tortured. How do you suppose he does that? Now he has this unpayable debt and torture. And if the story were to end, I'm sure it would be super convicting and cause us all to pause and ponder. But fortunately or unfortunately, depends on how you want to look at this, Jesus does not end there. He makes sure we understand exactly what he wants us to hear. Verse 35, and that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Jesus says some pretty tough things, doesn't he? He seems to be pretty serious about this idea of forgiving other people. And I don't know exactly what he means. And to be honest, I don't really want to find out exactly what he means. Like, I, I don't want to be there. And I think that's the point. But when you combine this along with the verse from last week, we'll look in a second. Evidently, Jesus thought was a lot at stake. So look at Matthew 6 again. He says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your heavenly father will not forgive your sins. And it's as if Matthew 18 is explaining for us why, the why behind it and what all of this looks like. And for us, we must recognize the seriousness and severity of forgiveness. This isn't just a theological thing we think about out there as an idea. It's practical for our everyday life. Because if we humble ourselves before God, he will forgive our debts. And then he demands that we do it as well. And so let's just look at a couple things about forgiveness from this parable. According to Jesus, when speaking about forgiveness, he uses the image of debts. He uses the image of debts um, to describe the nature of sin. So our sin puts us into debt to God. We, we owe God. When we wrong God, we owe God. And we're like, oh, I'm not too sure. Think about it. If somebody wrongs you, how do you feel? Like they owe you. They owed you something different. You want justice. You want vengeance. You want something back that they took. And so it's as if it's a debt, as if you'd incurred a loss. And so this is true not only with each other, but with God. When we sin against God, we've incurred a debt against him. We owe him. But we see forgiveness is an agreement to absorb the cost of that debt. You see, there was a real debt owed. 40 million's a real number. He really owed the king 40 million. The king didn't pretend it wasn't a big deal. He didn't go, mm, 40 million, let's just, let's just wash it under, no big deal. He didn't say, well, you really didn't owe me. I found a loophole. No, no he owed him. He was in debt. It happened. But the king agreed to own it and said, I'll live with the missing money. I'll live with this from me. You don't owe me. Let's just move on. And this is exactly what we see with what Christ has done for us. 
Christ purchased us. He purchased and bought our freedom from our indebtedness to God. Look at this. Ephesians 1.7 tells us. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased, he bought our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Christ has bought our freedom. Though we were in debt because of our sin, Christ took responsibility and came and made the payment for our loss. Which means in order to forgive, you choose to suffer. And you choose to deal with it. And you choose to own it. And you choose to take responsibility for what someone else has done. Which means forgiveness is costly. It's not cheap. I don't think Jesus' death was cheap. I don't think Jesus' death was easy. But yet he did it for us. And this is the foundation of all forgiveness. As a Christian, we forgive because we have been forgiven. It's that simple. We forgive because we have been forgiven. And the crazy thing about this is God has already forgiven us for everything we've done. Forgiveness is already available through Jesus Christ, which means you and me, we don't have to carry around our guilt. We don't have to carry around our shame. Christ wants to release us from all that because he bought it for us. And this is the God of Christianity. This is central to the Christian message. This is the God we believe in, of all forgiving, all merciful, just God who came and died for us so we could live. Folks, there's not another system out there that believes this or anything like this. This is Christianity. We believe that forgiveness is a gift. It's free. It's grace. He gives it to us, but we simply have to open it. We have to receive it. We have to live in that. First John 1 John 1.9 says, But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all our wickedness. He is faithful and just and will forgive you from all of your sins. All you have to do is confess him. You go to him and repent him. Forgiveness is already available because Jesus died 2,000 years ago. He's already done it. It's already been paid for. And you can receive forgiveness from it. So why fight that, folks? Why run from that? Why not accept the costly gift of salvation? Why not give your life to Jesus Christ? Why not believe and receive what he has done for you? And so what if you don't have all the answers? What if you still have questions? We all do. None of us know it all. But our faith is rooted and centered upon Jesus Christ, that he came, he lived, he died, and he rose from the grave. Like, that's what we believe. Jesus rose from the grave. And if you can predict, we've talked about it before, if you can predict your own death and resurrection and actually pull it off, we believe everything else you say. And here's one thing he said, Matthew 20, 28. It says, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve those and to give his life as the ransom or the payment for many. Jesus Christ died so you could live. He's given you a gift of salvation. And if you're a Christian, you say, Brian, I I believe that already. I know that. I, I claim to live in Jesus. I'm excited for you. But I have an undeniable truth for all of you Christians. You've claimed to be a Jesus follower. If you love God, you're here at church like, hey, I got this figured out. I'm a Jesus follower. Great. I have an undeniable truth that's going to be very unsettling, and you need to embrace it. This may be the most difficult thing you have to work through, and I promise you it will, cause you to get ar- it will cause you to argue with me, get mad, but my hope and prayer is this truth causes you to humble yourself before the king. 
That's the posture we need to take before God, one of humility. If it's true what we believe about Jesus, that he is God, that he wrapped himself in human flesh, he lived a sinless life, he took our place on the cross and died for us and then rose from the grave. If all of that is true, that Jesus has already paid the price for your sins, that the debt has been paid, if that is true, then that means he's also paid for the other person's sin as well. Meaning everything that person's done to you has already been paid. Jesus died for it. He purchased it, and he forgives that. When you were denying forgiveness, when you believed that you were owed, you were saying Christ wasn't enough. You're saying Christ isn't enough. That somehow you need more payment than what God has done. Dying for our sins. Jesus the king forgives 40 million in this story which means his followers have no right to demand a few thousand. The king absorbed everything. And because he absorbed that big loss, anything that anybody owed the other guy should have been absorbed in what the king had done. So in effect, the king covering that 40 million, what he did was cover the debts of everybody else out there. So that, that servant should have been able to forgive, not, not just because out of the kindness of his heart, but because he realized that the king already covered the debt, the king paid for it. The king paid for his debt, which was far more than any other debt. It's already been purchased. It's already been taken care of. And so as Christians, we forgive because God has forgiven us, and it was a great cost. Our debt has been paid, and so has everyone else's, which is why the king is so outraged in the story. By forgiving the debt, he should have covered, or did he cover the rest of the debts owed? In the stories of Jesus, God, when he's represented as the king, as in this story, he only gets angry two times in scripture, in all the stories of Jesus. He gets angry here when somebody doesn't extend his mercy and grace. And the second story is the parable of the wedding banquet, when he gets angry that people don't accept his mercy and his grace. That's the two things, folks, in Scripture God gets angry over. Refusing to accept his mercy and grace and refusing to extend his mercy and grace to other people. If we have been forgiven our tremendous debt, how do we not extend it? Which is what Jesus is telling us, Matthew 6. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. And when we bring this together, what we find is that if you do not forgive, if you are not working through the process of forgiving and what that looks for, like for you and taking those steps, if you're not looking at the gospel and the cross as a sole reason for you, as a sole foundation for your forgiveness and what you need to move towards, the most likely explanation is that you haven't actually experienced the gospel in your life. In other words, if you are refusing to forgive, you probably aren't saved. You don't know Jesus. And I know that's shocking, and I know that can hurt, but it's what Jesus is trying to tell us. There is a lot at stake. You may know about him. You may be to tell me things you've heard in Sunday school. But if you are unable to extend forgiveness, you haven't been forgiven. You don't know Jesus. Your life has not been changed by the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ.
Because as a Jesus follower, he tells us to extend it. He says this is what it looks like. You see, the requirement of accepting the gospel, the requirement of accepting what Jesus has done is humbling yourself before the great king and acknowledging you were a sinner in need of saving. That is not easy for prideful people. Prideful people say, well, I'm really not that bad. I mean, Jesus didn't really have to die for me. He could have just got like whipped once. I'm actually pretty okay. That's not the gospel. That's not the story. The story is we all owed a tremendous amount of money, of debt, of sin to God. And Jesus had to purchase us through the cross. So we are the servant who owes an unpayable debt, but God stepped in to save us. And understanding we aren't perfect and understanding that we don't get it right and understanding the tremendous amount of debt towards God will call us to then have sympathy and empathy. Maybe we don't understand the person. I get all that. But we have to take this posture of forgiven when we understand we've been forgiven. If you haven't experienced that forgiveness, if you haven't experienced the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, if you don't think you need it, well, that's why you can't forgive. You don't know them. You haven't experienced it for yourself. You may say, Brian, I'm not that bad. And maybe you aren't. Maybe you haven't done as much as the other people. But please do not, do not forget pride is the worst of all sins. Pride is what made Satan Satan. Simply pride. Thinking he was good enough and had it all together. And as I told you last week with my stories, I'm not telling you this is easy. I get struggling through it. But struggling through it is what we need to do. Because if you refuse to forgive, you will not be forgiven. And you haven't been forgiven. Evidence of your salvation comes from your willingness to forgive. Look at what Paul says in Philippians 2. He says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. I need you to understand this. When you were saved, when God is working in you, when the spirit resides in you, whatever language we want to use to talk about that truth, God is working in you. If you're choosing not to forgive, God has not worked in you. You're refusing it. Just like that, when that servant refused to forgive, he actually refused, ended up refusing the king's forgiveness of his larger debt. We have to extend. When God's working in our lives, when he's changing our lives, we will extend it to other. For God is working in you. So God wants to do this good work of forgiveness. So we do our part. We show mercy and grace. And we expect God to show up and really do that through us. And folks, nobody gets a pass on this. None of us. This is our posture, forgiving people. Remember, forgiving isn't forgetting. Forgiving isn't saying it's not a big deal. Forgiving is simply canceling whatever you think is owed and moving towards a better future. And so you say, well, Brian, how do I go about doing that? Just got a couple of steps for you. And these are the things that kind of help me. And maybe you have your own process or maybe there's a book out there that can give you even better ones. But this is what I, what I have to do. Number one, you put words to your feelings. Put words to your feelings. This may be super hard for some of you, and I understand, but you need to identify what you think you are owed and what loss you experienced. And what I'm saying is sometimes it's not going to make any sense. Who cares? 
Like just put words to your feelings. You need to name the thing. You need to identify what is making you so angry, what is hurting you, what is so painful. What is the thing that happened? Not necessarily the event, but what was taken from you. What is owed? What should have been different? And I know that may be discontinued. Difficult, And I know it may sound silly. For instance, I told you about my father in baseball. My son started playing baseball. I started crying because my dad never came to my games. But I didn't ever play baseball. Didn't make any sense. But I had to literally say out loud, mind you, by myself, I wasn't around anybody. But I had to say, I feel owed that my dad should have came to my baseball games. Logic came in. You never played baseball, Brian. How silly is that? Who cares? I'm not dealing with logic. I'm dealing with my feelings. And my feelings are all messed up and out of whack, and you can't judge them because that's how I feel. So, right, deal with it and let you deal with you. This is how you feel. And it doesn't have, there's no right or wrong. This is your feelings. Put a name to it. So for me, I had to put a name. Look, he owed me to come to my baseball games. He owed it to me. That's what I had to work through. So for some of you, you're going to have to say all sorts of things. Hey, they took my innocence. They owe me my innocence. They took my childhood. They ruined my marriage. They ruined my career. Whatever it is, just identify what you believe you are owed. Here's how I feel. Here's what I'm owed. Because it's a debt. Here's, here's what I'm owed. And number two, you got to believe the gospel. This is when our faith comes into play. So here's what I'm owed, but I believe the gospel. I believe in the great forgiveness that I have received from God. I humble myself before God and realize I am a forgiven sinner. That I am not better than anybody. That all of us need the blood of Jesus Christ. We are all in the same position. We all have a relationship with God the same way. Nobody's better than anybody. We all start because of Jesus Christ. And so I understand the forgiveness that I've needed from God. All the times that I've wronged God and yet he forgave. And it wasn't cheap forgiveness The cross wasn't cheap. It wasn't easy forgiveness. Hanging on a cross isn't easy. But we look at the cross and realize that God has forgiven us for such large debts. We can extend that to other people. So it comes to our faith, comes into play. Remember Jesus says uh, in the Lord's Prayer, he says, forgive us our debts. What's the next part? As we forgive our debts. They're always together. Like, yeah, I don't like that second part. I just say the first part. I get it. But not according to Jesus which is kind of a big deal. We want to listen to what he says about it. We forgive as we've been forgiven. And we look at the cross and realize no matter how much we want them to pay, no matter how much we want them to suffer, that Jesus has already done that. Jesus has suffered for them. Jesus has already died for them. His death was greater than anything I am owed. And if that payment is good enough for God, it should be good enough for me. Because I am not greater than God. Sometimes I think I am. Sometimes my pride tells me I'm owed more. But we humble ourselves before the king. We forgive because we've been forgiven. And number three, we take an active choice and we choose to suffer. Who likes to suffer? Nobody. Okay, we're on the same page. This isn't easy. But we choose to suffer. We choose to suffer and pay for what the other person has done. You're going to say, like I did, hey, I'm going to live with the fact that my dad didn't come to my baseball games and he does not owe me to come to my baseball games anymore. Like he couldn't. You don't play baseball. I know that's not the point. Pay attention. You just cancel it. 
hey, he owes me. I'm letting him off the hook. I'm going to live with the fact that I had a broken childhood and I'm not going to make anybody else pay for it. I'm going to own with it. I'm going to deal with it. And I'm going to work through that. That's my issue. Sure, it's not fair, but nobody said life was fair. It's not. And so we choose to live and accept the loss. Just like if I'm forgiving you money, I choose. I give you 20 bucks. You don't pay back. I'm like, you know what? You don't owe me 20 bucks anymore. I choose to take that loss. I lost it. You went up. We move on. We don't, it doesn't affect the relationship. We just move on. In the same way, whatever that thing that happened, you choose to own it. Hey, I'm going to live with it. I'm going to deal with it. I accept. I don't like what happened, but I accept that I'm going to have to deal with the payment. In the same way that Jesus hung on that cross, and it wasn't his fault, but he accepted the payment. He chose to suffer on our behalf. And so we agree to live with the other person's sin. Here's the trick, guys. You're going to have to live with it anyways. No matter what, you can choose to just own it. Hey, I'm going to deal with this. I'm, gonna, I'm choosing to suffer. They don't have, I'm not going to get them back. I'm not doing vengeance. I'm, no I'm going to live with this. I'm going to pay it. You're going to have to live with it anyways. You can let it fester up and all that stuff, or you can say, hey, I'm moving on. I'm living with it. So we acknowledge this is what they owe me, and this is what I'm canceling. And then number four, this is kind of corny, but it is what it is. Let go and let God. We'll talk more about that next week. But we have to let go of the resentment, the anger, the bitterness, and we choose to pay the debt. Since we've acknowledged the hurt, since we acknowledge the pain, we can then realize what we're letting go. Hey, I feel like he owed me this. Got it. You've named it. Now cancel it. Let it go. But if you don't name it, you can't cancel it. Does that make sense? Anger is just going to fester. You're just going to be mad. But why are you mad? What is that thing you believe you were owed? And so we cancel their debt. And when those feelings surface, we acknowledge that we've chosen to forgive. We let it go again. And that might happen over and over. By doing this, though, we're letting them off our hook, acknowledging they still owe God. We believe in a God of justice. We believe in a God who's going to judge everything. And this is where our faith comes into play. We have to turn it over and let God be the judge. We got to let God deal with it. And the truth is, many of us don't trust God. We don't think he can deal with it. We don't think he's going to be fair. We're going to be like, God, you're just going to go and forgive him anyways. You ever read the book of Jonah? That's why he gets mad. Oh, God. You're just going to forgive him anyways. I don't want you to forgive him. I hate those people. I'd rather you kill them. You, you should read your Bible. There's some interesting stuff. He gets swallowed by a fish or whale too. Really crazy story. Read it. Four chapters, five chapters. I don't know. But it's, we get that. Like We don't want to give it to God because God might forgive him. But was the cross not enough? That's when the gospel comes back into play of what Jesus has done for us. But we turn it over to him and allow him to deal with it as he sees fit. And we're going to spend all next week working through that one. And we'll explain why. Because if we choose unforgiveness, we're stopping the work of God in our lives. And we can prevent his plans and purposes. And folks, we don't want to do that. So we got that. And where do we start? I love what C.S. Lewis says. Got to throw a C.S. Lewis quote in there. He says, when you start mathematics, you do not begin with calculus. You begin with simple addition. And the same, some of us stayed in simple addition too, by the way. I don't appreciate this. It says, in the same way, if we really want, but it all depends on really wanting, 
to learn how to forgive, perhaps we had better start with something easier than the Gestapo. It's from, he's carrying on from last week. He said, one might start with forgiving one's husband or wife or parents or children or the nearest NCO for something they have done or said in the last week. That will probably keep us busy for the moment. We start small. Guys, you're not going to be a forgiving person, and you're not going to be able to forgive that big thing if you're holding on to the small things. But God wants to do a work in your life. He wants you to have the posture for forgiveness. He's going to empower you to be a forgiving person. But you have to start with the smaller things. Start with the small. Your husband, your wife, how about we just start forgiving them this week? Some of us, that's a big deal. Some of us, it's not as big. Or start with your boss, whatever that may be. Start with the smaller things. But I can tell you that God will work through that, folks. He will honor it, and he will be there right with you through that process. Because forgiving will lead to a better future. It is not easy, but it's what's commanded. And it's what's been put on display by the blood and death of Jesus Christ. So let's start confessing. Let's get our relationship right with Jesus Christ first. And out of that, by the power of the gospel, we then extend it to other people. We'll continue on next week. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, today we are challenged by the gospel. We sit completely dependent upon your grace and mercy for the forgiveness of our sins. The debt we've accrued against you is so large. And we look to Jesus and his payment for our sins so we can even speak with you and have a relationship with you, Father. So, Father, help us forgive. Help us do our part knowing that you will show up and strengthen us, that you will empower us to do what you've asked us to do or you wouldn't have asked us to do it. Father, we've counted the cost. We believe following you is the best way forward. So we give you our pain. We give you our pride. We surrender to you because you are the king. And we humbly bow before you. So help us forgive. Help us move towards forgiving those who have hurt us. And help us heal and stop allowing it to hurt us. Father, help us move towards a better future through forgiveness. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Will you stand?